0: The throne of David, the death of the longest reigning monarch in British history, and the symbolic meaning of the passing of Queen Elizabeth II for her own Great Britain, and for the Western world, and for every Christian alive today, including everyone here. What does the passing of the Queen that has the longest reign in British history mean to the world? And I believe it's time for a sober, somber examination of this question, which will be our desire here today. Let us pray. God, our Father, we humbly, before the blessed name of Christ our Savior, Remember and thank you for the queen that has survived for 70 long years on the throne, a throne that is appointed unto David, and a throne that awaits the reign of Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of David, the greater David, that will one day reign upon that throne. O merciful God! Thank you for her life, and I pray that in her absence, you would be so kind to endow her son Charles III now with a spiritual epiphany. Give him a spiritual reformation, transformation, that will impact every thought, and every motive, and every act of this new king. And I ask this in Christ's blessed name, and I pray now, Father in heaven, that you will honor the blessed meaning of Isaiah, the prophet, and use this lesson, Father in heaven, for whatever purpose you may want to use it for. But I pray that it will... Accomplish that which you please, and it will prosper in the thing wherein, too, it is now sent to the glory of Jesus Christ. We humbly ask for your help. Amen. Now, I know that we have different opinions about the British throne, and we we all can share, I know, probably different thoughts about the queen. We certainly Uh, Many of us have thoughts about her children, but I'd like to ask you today to concentrate your mind on the queen. Now, I have been trying to find out to the best of my ability, and if I have been incorrect in my finding, please feel free to correct me, but I have found that. There is nothing on record of any moral blemish of Queen Elizabeth on record. She had no personal scandal in her 70-long-year reign. It was sad that she was disgraced by her children, by both of her sons, Charles And her other son as well even more so so I'm not here to defend any part of the misbehavior of the members of the royal family but I'm looking at a a queen who at the age of 21 who lived a very long life made a vow to the British people before she was ever a queen that she wanted to give her life in devotion and service to the British people and to her God. And I think that Queen Elizabeth lived a very high and noble life. She endeavored to step aside from the, the sordid events of her family, her children, and to try and make the best of a bad situation, I'll let you weigh all that out. But we want to talk about the fact that Queen Elizabeth actually came to the throne in the year 1953. That was when Harry Truman was president. She was a, a queen for 14 through through the um, administration of 14 different U.S. presidents. She had the unfortunate experience to be on that throne when uh, a Democrat, a Truman, came to the throne. And she had the misfortune of being there when another uh, king, uh, Joe Biden, uh, was on the throne, or at least the throne he thought he w- sits on. And he's also a Democrat, so uh, she had two bookends that were not that pleasant. Fortunately, in between, there were some bright spots, but very few. Now, we're going to look this morning at four verses, or actually four testimonials, out of the Bible. And I'm going to let Moses come forward first. I want you to know what Moses said about the throne. Here's what Moses said in Genesis 49, verse 10. You may want to write these verses down. Moses said this. These are all inspired words of heaven. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now the scepter is a rod of rulership. The Bible says that the scepter, the the rod, the authority of the scepter, which belongs in the hand of a monarch, will not depart from the tribe of Judah until Shiloh comes. And that happens to be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Then I'd like to bring on The witness stand, the prophet Isaiah, who said in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and I'd like for you to quote this with me if you know the words, Unto us a child is born, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, The mighty god the everlasting father the prince of peace and of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of david i want to repeat that upon the throne of david to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth and forever the zeal of the lord of hosts We'll perform this. And then we'll slip over to the Gospels, and we will bring on the testimonial of the Gospel written by Luke. So that will take us to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 30. And the angel, that is Gabriel, said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. I want to repeat that again. God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then finally, the last witness will be that of our Lord Jesus Christ who said in Revelation 11, 15, And the seventh angel sounded, there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign, he shall reign forever and ever. Now, those are four witnesses, and they can be multiplied many times over, which we will not do at this time, but it is important for us to know that Queen Elizabeth, who was born in the year... 1926 she died september 8 2022 at the age of 96 years of life that was a long time to live and she was on the throne longer than any known british well she was on the throne longer than any british monarch at any time like to say that if you combine her 70 years, with the 45 years of Queen Elizabeth II and the 63 years of Queen Victoria, total those, that's 178 years. 178 years that three ladies occupied the throne in Great Britain. And each one of them lived through a very significant time. Remember that Queen Elizabeth I, 1558 to 1603, witnessed the rise of Britain as a great commonwealth. It did not reach its zenith under her, but it was on its way, and the British flag was flying all across the sea. You'll remember that under her reign, there were such illustrious people as Sir Francis Drake, uh, a sea captain. And you'll remember reading all kinds of British history under the reign of Queen Elizabeth. Now remember that the British Commonwealth of Nations is the single largest Commonwealth of Nations that was ever together on this planet. And whatever you may think of Great Britain, you have to step back and acknowledge that there has never been a single empire in the annals of time that even comes close to the power that was exercised by the British over the continents of the world and the seven seas. The British supremacy was felt all over the world and before the commonwealth was finished there was a legion of nations that were brought under the throne of the british crown that was under queen elizabeth ii correction the first and then when victoria came on the throne in 1837 She was on that throne for a very long time until 18, correction, 1901, 1837 to 1901, 63 long years. Now that reign witnessed the supremacy of the British Commonwealth. It it witnessed Great Britain as it was reaching toward its apex and it continued after her death for a while until the First World War Now When you look at history people if you have never studied How the the rise of the of the British Commonwealth of Nations you have missed an enormous amount of history So I would would encourage everyone to step back and look at that time in history because you will not read the Bible and you will not understand the Bible until you're able to fit into the pages of the Bible how the British Commonwealth of Nations fit into the pages of that book. Now, when I said that all of us will be impacted by the loss of this queen, I really mean that that her passing will have an impact on the world that we live in. It may be for better. It, it, I'm, I'm really doubtful if it will be for better. I pray that it won't be for the worse. But I don't believe that it's going to be for the better. But that that is not my call. I'm just saying that now Queen Elizabeth the current Queen that just passed away was a noble person but she had some wonderful people some examples to follow Queen Victoria for example was a noble Queen And if you had lived in the Victorian age your lifestyle might be very different, radically different from the way Americans live today. Victoria set a moral pace for the world. She was one of the most moral, astute sovereigns to live and to occupy the British throne. Now she married a first cousin does that alarm you victoria married her first cousin blood cousin so think about it he was prince albert and had nothing to do with tobacco however tobacco had a lot to capitalize from his name prince albert was a german from the house of Saxe. Coburg Gotha, otherwise we know him as the House of Hanover. And uh, she married Albert, and two first cousins became the parents of nine children. Nine children, quite a royal family. Nine children that in due time grew up, and they married into the royalty of Europe so that at some point in time Albert and Victoria could be called the grandparents of Europe. Now I think that's most significant because their offspring married royalty all throughout the countries of Europe because at that time there were many monarchies and so it was an illustrious time In many ways, it would have been a wonderful time to have lived, but I'll leave that for your own contemplation. Victoria and Albert together were an awesome couple, and they paid a lot of attention to their children. And all nine of their children became—now, I hope I am not speaking out of turn— But I believe they were morally unblemished, to the best of my knowledge. If I am wrong on that, I stand corrected, of course. But to raise a family of nine, to get them all married off into royalty, and to become the grandparents of some of the finest grandchildren growing up in royalty, must have been quite an honor for Victoria and her husband, Albert. Our current queen at age 96 was only the mother of two sons, and it may have been good that she was not the mother of more. But again, that might be a, a, a statement that I'm making that should not even be made. For all I know, child number seven, eight, nine, ten could have been wonderful saints. So I'm going to put a check on that one. Unknown. Elizabeth was married to a very significant man, Prince Philip. And Prince Philip had been, he had been a very noble prince in Greece and both Greece and Denmark. He was very high in royalty. So she didn't marry just anyone. Elizabeth II, I speak of now, married. Uh, 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 King Philip, who became the king, and uh, 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 co-monarch with her. Now, they both had a wonderful marriage. And this is significant. The current queen that just passed away lived with her husband 73 years. Now, all you married people know that must, that's, quite a, that's quite a time to live with someone. 73 years is the longest royal marriage in history. So Queen Elizabeth has the honor of having the longest reign, 70 years. There's no king in the Bible that came very close to that. That would be something you could study out from the book of 2 Chronicles. And there's no couple in British history or that I can find in European royalty that lived longer as married people than Elizabeth and her co-ruler Philip. So a 73-year marriage was a very long time. Philip lived to be 99 years old. His wife died at 96. So that couple, they left a legacy no matter what people may think. That marriage was essentially unblemished. And I think that's noble for a 73-year-old for a 73-year marriage to be uh, wholesome for 73 years so whatever whatever negatives people will come up about Queen Elizabeth and they wanted her to be this and that and I, I realize that I'm not saying that she did not have her weaknesses but she brought stability to the to the royal house of Britain now I want you to contemplate this If you think that Queen Elizabeth did not serve nobly, honorably, with great blessings of heaven in her own personal life and legacy as a ruler, ask yourselves this question. What happened to all the other constitutional monarchies that passed out of existence during her 70-year reign. When Elizabeth came to the throne, Europe was dotted with constitutional monarchies. They were everywhere. Kings ruled all over in different countries of Europe, including Portugal, Spain, Germany, wherever you want to look. There were European kings all over the place. and. Sometimes they were queens. So ask yourselves, what happened to all those thrones? Where are they? I ask a question. Is that a logical, legitimate question? Or have I asked a question that's not relevant? What happened to all the constitutional monarchies that once existed under heaven? Now, there's still fragments left but they're weak, and people don't even know who they are. Could you write down the royalty of Europe today? Some of you could. Now that royalty extended all the way into Russia, and there were royal members of the families of Europe that were connected They connected the whole European world together. And that was, in many ways, a wonderful time of history. Now, I know that there are many, many things that can be said about the monarchs of Europe. So that is not our issue here today. We'd like to say, though, on behalf of Queen Elizabeth II, Think of it this way, to her credit, Queen Elizabeth II preserved the British monarchy. It's still standing. That's more than you can say for almost all of the others. So whatever weaknesses are perceived in that woman, Let's give God the praise that he put a, 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 a person on that throne that has preserved the integrity of that throne through, the, through history. And a long time. Seventy years is a long time. Reflect upon all the events of history that have passed during her 70-year reign. She presided over the throne from the Korean at the, toward the end of the Korean War, all the way through the unholy history and decline of the Western world that has been in process for many decades. Now, to the sadness of her reign, she, she witnessed the dismantling of the British Empire. Now, that was very sad. I must must say that there must have been many days that Queen Elizabeth awakened from her sleep to the sorrow as she watched one part of the British Empire after the other become independent of the crown. But as she passes, there are still a sizable number of uh, places and countries all over the world, islands of the sea, that are still in the British Commonwealth. So something as great as the British Commonwealth does not die quickly. It takes more than a hundred years for it to pass away. Now it's very feeble today. It's about as feeble as it's ever been in its history. But we need to remember that to the degree that we're able to place the British Commonwealth and the United States of America in the pages of the Bible, that will measure measure how much of the Bible we really know. It will also tell us how much we need to know that we may not know. So what we'd like to do now, beloved, For just a few moments here, we'd like to remind the congregation that it must have been very painful for the queen to watch the whole India, the continent of India, disappear from her rule. Can you imagine? Little Britain ruled India one of the most, one of the largest countries in the world, the the influence of the British throne was so enormous, it reached all the way to South Africa. It reached all the way to Australia, to Canada. And we, Americans, were once part of that throne. This country was once under the British crown. Now, we fought a war of independence to free ourselves from that crown. But we have not done so well in our freedom. Because we have a dictator now who would like to br- bring us under a totalitarian heel the like of which very few kings have have ever dealt their their own people so i'd like to move into the bible now and i'd like you to think about america and what's happened to us during the reign of queen elizabeth The second she came to power in 1953 we could turn the hands of the clock back to the year 1953 what kind of an America would welcome us if you could live in 1953 what would that have been like now if you could just imagine an America Can you imagine America where about 90% of every American was found in church on the weekend? Can you imagine a country where there was segregation? Where you could go to the Nevada courthouse and see restrooms that were segregated. Restaurants that were segregated. Schools that were segregated. 1953. You would greet a country where it was a criminal offense for black and white to marry. And a a minister who solemnized a marriage of a black and a white would be fined, Up to $1,000 and jailed up to six months. Interracial marriage was statutorily not allowed. Quite a different world than we live in in America today, wouldn't you say? And it's all happened during the reign of one queen and everything that I'm telling you about with regard to America is, a, is very, very much like was going on in Great Britain. It's little wonder that that, queen's, that queen sort of isolated herself and lived a very quiet, pious life, spoke very rarely. But she was always an honorable woman and always, always honored the office that she held. In the United States, when Queen Elizabeth came to power at such a lovely time, she came to power when Great Britain was still a very thriving nation, but it was already in decline. World War II had hardly ended before the dismantling of the British Empire was underway. In the United States in 1953 and thereafter, there was no abortion, homosexuals were in the closet, And if they dared open the door and peek out, it certainly didn't mean they'd get out on the street and let it be known who they were. They kept their lifestyle hidden away. And in those days, there was no, no no-fault divorce. People were not able to get a divorce. You went into a courtroom to get a divorce, a judge would say, well, I'm going to send you into arbitration. If the arbitration did not succeed in joining the two parties back together, the judge would normally say, then you must live separated, celibate the rest of your days, but don't think you'll be remarried. Now, that was the America when Queen Elizabeth came to power in Great Britain, and that was the America that Truman welcomed when he became president. Now thereafter, things began to change rather nobly, quickly, and rapidly, but not for the better, nobly. It meant that America was on a trajectory downward. 1954 witnessed the end of the segregated school system. And 1967 was when the Supreme Court rolled back in Loving versus Virginia the ban, the criminal offense of interracial marriage. 1967. As late as 1968, Missouri still held on to the law against interracial marriage but it soon fell because people challenged it after the Supreme Court decision so that was the America in 1953 if someone would suggest that there's more than two genders male and female they would have assumed you were clinically insane I still think it's a good diagnosis. Remains a very good diagnosis. If you believe there are more than two genders, you, I believe, will qualify to be clinically insane. So we have a lot of insanity in America today. Matter of fact, some people believe that Clinically, America has become an insane nation. So I think it's wonderful. It's not only marvelous, it's wonderful, it's significant. It's absolutely essential that somebody, that Christians everywhere, stand up and say, I will live my life according to the Bible and no other book. I'm going to live my life according to the Word of God and if that doesn't square with political correctness, if that doesn't square with the insane gender dysphoria of this current generation, well, that's tough. Because we will not change the standard of God's Word, which is as true today as it was... A, thousand years ago and if America is still a country in a hundred years from now God's Word will still be true his truth endures forever his truth endures forever so I'm going to ask the congregation now if you'll be so kind to open the pages of your Bible and I'll ask uh, my brother Ezekiel to come up here because we're going to look at some Scripture. Now I would suggest, as a, just an option here, that you can follow. I would love to ask all the young children to have a Bible, to have it open. And I'd like you to join with us every time we call a Scripture. I'd like for everyone that has a Bible to open it. We're going to begin this discussion today, and we're going to, do, we're going to move as quickly as we can. So let's, let's see how quickly we can move through some scripture, because we're going to lay a foundation for understanding a little bit about how the British Commonwealth of Nations and the United States of America... Fit into the biblical equation. I am totally lost for words when I hear respectable so called ministers of the gospel say that to their knowledge there's nothing in the Bible about America or the British Empire. What ignorance they display. But that's not our purpose here today. So let's turn now in our Bibles to the book of Genesis. We're going to go to Moses. Genesis 15, 5 and 6. There was a day in the life of Abraham when God told Abraham, He said, look up, lift up your eyes to the heavens and see if you can count the stars. Now, a few people have ever looked up on the into the sky on a starry night, you know that the heavens are so full of beautiful stars and you tried to count them You might as well just look for a you might as well count the the number of straws in a haystack It's The star seed of Abraham in contrast in my humble opinion to the sand seed the sand seed are the desert families of Abraham They would now like to take over Britain and they are, they're on their way to turning Britain into a Muslim nation. So the sand seed of Abraham is trying to move out the star seed, doing a remarkable job because the, the real people quit having children in Britain just like they are in America. And so what happens? Their place is rapidly filled by the color brown, who are very happy to breed like rabbits and take the place of the people that didn't like children. Now, when God told Abraham, your seed is going to be like the, as multitudinous as those stars in the sky, Abraham was childless. His wife, Sarah, had never had a child. If ever there was a faith walk, Abraham and Sarah made the walk. So we're going to go now to Genesis 17, and I'm going to have our reader read from verses 1 through 7. Genesis 17. Hear ye the word of God. Genesis 17, 1 through 7. And when Abram was ninety
1: years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram. But thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed forever after thee.
0: Beautiful words. Now family, listen to this. The promise to Abraham was that he'd be the father of many nations. The modern church world are never able to offer up but one little tiny part of the world as the nation of Abraham, and they incorrectly identify the land that it, the people that it belongs to, and they uh, and they misapply altogether who that land belongs to. They have it all wrong and upside down. But so does American foreign policy. So let's look at something now. Did you see the promise that God made to Abraham that incorporated the word kings? Kings are going to come out of your your loins. You're going to be the father of kings. We're talking about monarchies. We're talking about a future that's going to have and incorporate kingdoms. That is most significant. Now, you people have your Bibles before you. Your Bible has what we will call a spine. The spine of your Bible all the pages of the Bible are sewn together at the spine of your Bible. Think of the Abrahamic covenant as the spine of the Bible. It holds all of Scripture together. All the other covenants, all the other promises God made to his people are encompassed in the Abrahamic covenant. The new covenant the Old Covenant are extensions of the Abrahamic Covenant. The Abrahamic Covenant is singularly the covenant, beginning in Genesis 12, 1, of the rest of the Bible. Every covenant thereafter, Levitical Covenant, Davidic Covenant, Mosaic Covenant, Old Covenant, New Covenant, all stitched together into the Abrahamic which is the major covenant. So now we have the promise of many nations. We have the promise of kings that are come, going to come out of, of uh, Abraham's family. And remember now that there's going to be centuries of time that will unfold in the development of all, of all these covenantal promises. The Bible's a book of covenants. We are a covenant people. And without your attachment to covenant, You don't have any faith. You don't have any religion. You're like a little ship out on the ocean that's gonna be caught up in whatever currents coming along. But if you're a covenant Christian, a Christian that's anchored to the covenants, then your ship of life has a rudder. It has a compass. It has a directive. It has a helm. It has a pilot. A sovereign God. So let's go to uh, Genesis 24, 60. Genesis 24, 60. And this is just one of the great promises of the Bible. Imagine you were a young lady ready to get married. You're still single, but you're getting ready to marry. And, and the, hus- the groom is going to be named Isaac. So we're talking about Rebecca. In Genesis 24, verse 60, there's a prophecy that's made over Rebekah that's one of the most, well, you have to read that statement and then you have to, you have to step back and say, well, do I believe what the Bible says? Take it or leave it. But here it is. God told Rebecca, you're going to be the mother of, say it with me, thousands of Of millions of people now get your little pencil out you mathematicians and figure out how many people that's going to be but in 1900 when Queen Victoria sat on the throne remember the white race was the predominant race of every country in the Western world the color white was all you would see across the entire Western world. Remember that in the late 1500s and the early 1600s, the house of Ephraim, Great Britain, they were bent on peopling the world. Ten children was a modest family. Five meant you hadn't even started. Let's talk 15, 20 children. What number was John and Charles Wesley in the Wesley household? They were not too far from the number 20. Those families in tiny little England, the size of Alabama planted colonies in Canada, South Africa, the United States, Australia, New Zealand. Fulfilling God's promise to Abraham. Multitudinous numbers of people. What a time in history Victoria lived in. But let's go on now quickly to Genesis 35, 9 through 12. And we'll read this into the record, Genesis 35, 9 through 12. And here we go, Mr. Ezekiel.
1: And God appeared unto Jacob again, when he came out of Padanaram, and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob. But Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee. And kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, to thee I will give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give the land.
0: Did you catch that? Nation and company of nations. And kings shall come out of the loins of Jacob. Jacob is going to be the father of 12 sons. Each of the sons will multiply into a tribe. And each of the tribe, tribal nations, will multiply into a great people. There is, you would have to think, long and hard to understand how God multiplied and exploded the seed of Abraham. But let me give you one verse to help you on your way. Isaiah 27 6 They that take root from Jacob, his 12 sons, will multiply and blossom, and fill the world with fruit. That's a significant statement. That means that the seed of Jacob will overtake, overcrowd, overwhelm, and push out the descendants of Japheth, the descendants of I didn't say they have become extinct, but they become the minority because Abraham's seed is becoming the predominant, dominant seed of the white race in the world during the reign of Queen Victoria and before and after that. So I want to remind you now that out of Jacob is going to come a nation and a company of nations, and I've tried this. I have in very quiet innocence asked ministers who the nation and company of nations of Genesis thirty-five, eleven, are, and the best answer they can come up with is, well, I really need to think about it, because they don't know how to answer that question. Where is the nation? Where is the company of nations? That's a commonwealth. And where is the origin of all the kings? What is the origin of all the royalty of Europe? Where did that royalty come from? It sprang out of the promises that God made to Abraham. God was keeping His promise to His servant Abraham. Follow along now as we move to Genesis 48, 48, and we'll just read two verses for lack of time. If time permitted, we go a lot deeper, but let's go to Genesis 48 16 and 19 Ezekiel just two verses 16 and 19
1: The angel which redeemed me from all evil blessed the lads and let my name be named on them and the name of my Fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth and His father refused and said I know it my son I know it he also shall become a people and he also shall be great but truly His younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations.
0: Now here we have an aged man named Jacob. He's actually not far from death. He's almost blind, got cataracts. His arms are crossed. The origin of the famous Jacob cross. Because he's got his right hand on the younger son, Ephraim. And he's got his right hand on the, young, on the elder son, Manasseh. Ephraim is going to become the multitude of nations in the midst of the earth. The British Commonwealth was a company of nations in the midst of the earth that swallowed up the earth for a long time. But out of that company of nations rose up another nation, the great nation of verse 19, the great nation, the single most exceptional nation that has ever existed on the planet. No other nation in the British Empire ever even come close to equaling the exceptional individual status of the United States of America at its zenith of power and it's certainly not there today anymore. The United States, and this is what everybody here needs to know and children need to know this, that regardless of what has happened to this country, the land that God gave His people, it's not God's fault. To to know what happened to it. We cannot look to to God and, and, and blame God for anything. We ourselves have failed God. And in the process we've lost not only our prosperity, but we've lost our peace. We've lost the freedom And we're losing a lot more as time goes on. And that's why we need to desperately love this country. And that's why we should not surrender easy to the hordes that are on this land. Better to die fighting for freedom and courageously stand than to kneel and kiss the boots Of those who will enslave you because your life will be much more miserable in a communist gulag not in Russia but right here in the United States if we do not defend our freedom because they're preparing the gulags for you and I and everybody like us but I'm one person that's not going to go to a gulag We're going to move now quickly to Genesis 49, and that would be 8 through 12, and except we're running out of time, so I want to give you that one classic verse. This is a promise God's making to Judah. In 1902, a book was printed in America, it's called Judah's Scepter. And Joseph's birthright. Some of you will have this book and some of you will have read it. If you haven't, it's a book you must read. You must read this. This is a classic book. Judah's scepter, Joseph's birthright. Jacob had 12 sons. One received the birthright. The other received the scepter. And the birthright and the scepter among the twelve tribes is singularly what you need to look at closely. And here was a, a Baptist of all people, a Baptist who wrote this book in 1902 and rocked the Baptist world. Of course, he didn't get to remain in the Baptist church. His name is J.H. Ellen. And I think that he might have a tie to my own wife uh, because he came out of the same vicinity of England that her her ancestors did as well. But I've never authenticated that. Now, in Genesis... 49, that classic verse 10, but it's 8 through 12. The scepter will not depart from Judah till Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. That's, that's the second coming of Christ and the regathering of the tribes in preparation for the kingdom. Genesis 49, 10 is a far-reaching... Far-reaching uh, prophetic verse of Scripture. It's it's far-reaching. You have to really meditate, reflect on that, and then we're going to jump real quickly. Oh my goodness! We're going to run over to Genesis forty-nine, twenty-two, twenty-six. We got to read this, folks. So cheer up, brace up, and let's read Genesis forty-eight. Uh, that is, uh, I'm sorry, that is Genesis 49, uh, 49, and we're gonna, we're gonna slip over to Genesis 49, 22 through 26. Can we read this, uh, Ezekiel, as, as quickly as, as they can get their eyes on it?
1: Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him, and shot at him, and hated him. But his bow abided in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, even by the God of thy Father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessing of thy fathers have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors under the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren.
0: There's a Bible study incorporated into those verses, but you might begin by asking yourselves, where is the area of the world with everlasting hills? Where is the most lengthy, chain of mountains that exist on planet Earth, everlasting hills that begin in Alaska, come all the way through the western United States, down through Central America, all the way across South uh, South America, the Andes, and right on to the ends of South America. Everlasting chain. Now, Joseph is the birthright tribe. He's going to people the world, and Judah's going to be their kings. Judah's going to provide the royalty. Now, I want you to think about this. When Albert and Victoria gave rise to nine children... They were from what country? They were from Judah. Their seed then found out to provide leadership across the monarchies of Europe. And before that, we're talking about the scepter not departing from Judah. And right in the heart of Joseph, Ephraim is the scepter of Judah. Don't you find that uncanny? I find that remarkably convincing to me that God made promises and he's been keeping them. And that's why I like to read my Bible because it's a book of promises and I know that God is faithful to his promise and God says... That the seed of Israel will never cease from being a people on this earth. And that's why I know that there is no power on earth or in heaven that is going to erase the seed of Israel from this earth even though there is a genocidal plan to do it. Herod thought he would do it when he murdered all the two-year-olds. But I've got news God will have the last word. Okay, we're running out of time. We need to look. Now, I'm going to have you write down Deuteronomy 32, 7 through 13. Powerful verses. But we're just running out of time. I'm, I'm going to have just a few verses read here before we close. I want you to write 2 Samuel 7, 8, 17 down. That's where God, in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, remember it's the spinal covenant that stitches all the other covenants and holds them together. The Davidic covenant of 2 Samuel is made to David. That David will be given throne. Remember, he placed Saul. He replaced Saul, King Saul, on the throne. When David came to power, he's the little shepherd boy that we just read about uh, in terms of David that becomes the most significant king that ever sat on the throne of the kingdom named the throne of David. David was singularly the example, example king. He did more to exemplify the kingdom than any other king that's ever lived. And that throne that was emblazoned in history by David is going to become the kingdom over which Jesus will reign in his eternal kingdom when he returns. We're going to go and we're going to, we're going to end this with a, an examination of a few verses from Psalm 89. And then we'll close. So turn to Psalm 89. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. If the reader will read verses 1 through 4 from Psalm 89.
1: I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, Mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen, I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. See law.
0: Now, here's a promise to David an oath that was sworn unto David. Now, when God makes his own promise and God enters into an oath, it's as good as it can get. You can't get it any better. That is why the throne of the British Empire has survived. Think about it. Why is it survived? It has survived because it's according to the promises God made. He didn't make that promise to, the, to every other monarchical, constitutional monarch. He made it to David. Let's drop down to verse 20, and I'm going to have you read together. Now, I'd like the congregation to read this. Let's all join out loud and read beginning in verse 20. Uh, Read in a moderate level, uh, so a rate, so they can keep up with you, Ezekiel. Beginning in verse 20, I have found found
1: David my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him with
0: whom my hand shall be established
1: mine arm also shall strengthen him
0: the enemy shall not exact upon him nor the son of wickedness afflict him and i will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him
1: but my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him and And in in my my name shall shall his horn horn be exalted. exalted. I will will set his his hand also in in the sea, and his his right hand hand in in the rivers, the
0: expansion of the British Empire. He shall cry unto me, Thou "Thou art art my my Father, father, my God, God, and the rock rock of my my salvation. salvation. Also, Also I will will make him my firstborn, firstborn, higher higher than than the the kings of the earth." earth. Now, wait a minute. There's only one way, only one person that can be higher than the kings of the earth. That's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that will one day split the clouds and come back to sit upon this throne. That's the King they're talking about here. That that is so true. That is so true. And so Ezekiel, let's continue now with verse 28.
1: Mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my my covenant covenant shall stand fast fast with him. His seed also will I make make to endure endure forever, forever, and his throne as the the days of heaven. heaven. If If his children forsake my law, and walk not in my judgments, then will I visit
0: their transgression with the rod, and and their iniquity with stripes. stripes. Now that's... That's the rod of God that's upon Britain today. That's the rod of God that's upon America. Are you listening? We're in the woodshed. And God's got the rod in His hand. And right now He's giving us a dictator. And He's saying, when you've had enough of this dictator, you'll come back to me and let me rule over you again. Let's read on.
1: Verse 33. Nevertheless, my By loving kindness, kindness will, I, will not I not utterly take from him,
0: nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. To fail. This is the promise. By my covenant, covenant will I, I not, break, not break, nor, nor alter, alter the thing, thing that has, that gone has gone out of, of my lips. Now, people, your choice is to either walk out of here and believe what you're reading, or to check it all and say, well, I didn't like Queen Elizabeth. I don't like the monarch. I don't like kings, I don't like queens, I don't like royalty, I don't like.... You ought to. It's your heritage. It's who you are. You're the people of the book. God wrote the Bible to, for, and about you, and the people you're descended from. The Bible is your story. It's a history of your story. Let's don't throw our story away. Let's preserve our story. Let's not be among the millions who, are, who have lost their story. Who have no story. They have nothing to live for. We've got a kingdom to live for. A, a kingdom to fight for. A kingdom to, to labor for. Sorry. Let's read on.
1: Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David.
0: Uh, Ezekiel, we got to read that again. God's making a promise that he will not lie to David. Let's read it again.
1: Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie lie unto David. David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon, and as a faithful witness in heaven, Selah. Selah
0: let's all be standing.